Is this where you are today? Wanting to pray, but not knowing what or how to pray? How do you pray when you feel like events are out of control? How do you pray when fear overwhelms you, when you look at the world situation or the situation in your own life, and you just don't know how to pray? And what about when it feels like perhaps God isn't listening to you because he appears silent? Today at the Radio Backyard Fence, our correspondent to the prayer closet, Dr. John Kessler, is back. We talked with him in August about a new resource that maybe you are going through. It's titled, When God is Silent. The subtitle is what we're going to consider today, and that is Letting the Bible Teach Us to Pray If you've been watching the news from the Middle East, it's getting even more complicated, more tense with each hour that goes by. And I I put a question on our Facebook page earlier today, what scripture are you praying about Israel and what's happening in the Middle East? And we're going to talk about some of the responses of that. We're going to take your calls. We're also going to look at the, the, the struggle that you're going through personally. Maybe you're listening to this program today and your heart is for the Middle East, for the the problems that are going on there, but you can't get there right now because of everything that's weighing you down. Dr. Kessler is going to give us seven principles to pray when we don't know what to pray. You're going to hear that straight ahead. Let me thank our team, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Trish is in the chair today, our producer, answering your calls. Lynn, say hi to Lynn when you call us. And I want to make sure that you know about our thank you this month. Anyone who supports the program in the month of October is going to receive Dana White's book, Organizing for the Rest of Us, 100 Realistic Strategies to Keep Any House Under Control. We had her on the program last week, and I knew that this was going to touch a nerve. I didn't know it would touch as deep a nerve. Because there were several people who called during that program and said, is this a spiritual issue? It feels like it's a spiritual issue for me, this this clutter thing. I feel soul clutter. And then someone gave over the weekend and said, would you please pray that I can get free from the bondage of my clutter? I don't think that's going too far to say that you can be so bogged down. And there are reasons for that. And Dana gives you some... Uh, helps, a lot of helps, just the whole idea. I'm still working on the little box to put my cards in, (laughs) if you heard the program the other day. So y'all stick with me. I'm going to get my life organized too. If this would be of help to you, give a gift of any size, or maybe uh, get a call, give a gift, and give it to somebody else that you know who could use it. Organizing for the rest of us. 866-95-FABRY is our number, 866-953-2279. Or you can go to chrisfabrylive.org, scroll down, see how you can receive that. Uh, Can't do what we do without you, so thanks for being a back fence friend with us here. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, where if you click through today's information, you'll see the smiling visage of Dr. John Kessler, who is getting younger by the day. He's faculty emeritus of pastoral studies at Moody Bible Institute Chicago. He served for, oh, what? quarter of a century, 25 years. He's written a number of books. The one we talked about a couple of months ago is When God is Silent, Let the Bible Teach You to Pray. So we've got a link to it right there, chrisfabrylive.org. Dr. Kessler, are you getting younger by the day? No. <laughs> no, just just 
Just more immature. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I will pray for your immaturity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being available here today because this is where I'm living. And if I'm living there, maybe somebody else is, you know, um, because I have been incessantly clicking on the news feed to see yeah. what is new and what is going on with our country and the Americans held hostage and the Israelis held hostage and Gaza and what is happening with Hamas and what is happening with Hezbollah and Iran now. And then you've got Putin and, you know, all of this stuff. And I just feel like it is so big. I, I can't hold it all in my head. I don't even, I don't know about that part of the world, you know, experientially, but people who do are just torn up about this because their friends, their family members, they're, they're in, in, caught in the crossfire. So that feeling of, I don't know what to pray. Do you identify with that? Oh, totally. You just just sort of described my whole life. And I realized that the danger in a situation like this is you you personalize it too much and you lose sight of the the big issues, you know, because you're looking at, we tend to become narcissistic about it sometimes, you know, but honestly, what's what's unfolding for people as they look at the large a scale map of things going on and they feel overwhelmed is so often the case in our personal lives too. And uh, a lot of my praying goes on at night, you know, when I go to bed at night and I I can't count the times I have gone to the Lord and said, you know, God, I, I don't even know how to talk to you about this. I don't know. I don't know what I should pray for. I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, I just don't know because because often because of the people involved and the circumstances and maybe because the issues are so global or or beyond uh, the range of my grasping and um you know and then i so really i i have prayed so many times to say lord i i don't know what to say to you <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i don't know what to ask you i know what i want but i don't know if it's right I know what other people are saying, but I don't know if they're right. And so I think it's a very common experience for people. And of course, we don't like ambiguity. We like, we want clarity. We want, we want to be able to pray in a way that gets the results that we're looking for. And so often that's not the case in our experience. And so we, it creates a great deal of tension within us and i think sometimes between us you know we we then we start to become critical of one another and even perhaps even the way that that we are praying you know i'm listening to somebody else pray and i'm thinking oh well you you shouldn't be praying that you should be praying this so yes that tension is i wonder if that's not part of what god wants to do in us if we're not involved you know specifically with the situation that's going on that the te- allow the tension to draw us closer to his heart and show us that we we are not in control. I absolutely think that's the case that that one of the main lessons of prayer is not that we are able to get God to do the things we want him to do. I think the main lesson of prayer is that we are not in control and God is that we are in need and God is the one who meets that need that we don't know 
what's going on really not not i mean i know what i'm experiencing i know what i think is happening but i really do not have a comprehensive perspective that god does and he did but he does know what's going on and that's what that's why i am coming to him because i trust his perspective because i trust his care for me because i trust the fact that god is at work in uh these situations that are so ambiguous to me and I, I it's hard for me even to figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy you know um but i know that god is completely good and i know that he's working out his purpose even in the midst of where, where i could see great evil happening you know that, that god is not absent that that he is in the midst of that situation, I'm not saying he's the cause of it. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that God is causing evil. I'm saying that evil, the unfolding of evil, is not beyond the scope of God working out His plan in our world today. But it feels like. <laughs> but well, it, it does to us. It feels yeah. like he's silent. It feels like, you yeah. know, say praying for the hostages. There ain't no yeah. ambiguity, you know, in, in that. It's like, oh, God. And did you see the, uh, there's a Roman Catholic figure who was the, I think he's the envoy for the Pope for uh, the Holy Land, who said if he he uh, gave himself, his he's a cardinal, he said, my offer is... If I'm available for exchange for the children, I will go and I will put myself for the freedom of the children. No problem. My absolute willingness, he said, which I thought, you know, greater love has no one than Mm -hmm. this, you know, to lay down his life. And I know there's uh, theological differences between Roman Catholicism and what we believe. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting that aside, but I'm saying what he was exhibiting right there, that's what I would love to see happen, that God would use something like that to free those hostages, to free those children. So uh, we'll come back. Dr. Kessler has these seven principles. If you don't know what to pray, I want you to listen to these. And maybe you're in that very situation right now. Personally, it's something in your life. Here's our number, 877-548-3675. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. What do you pray when you don't know what to pray? Why even pray to begin with? If, if all of this is God's in control and he's sovereign, why, why, why pray? You could ask that question. Dr. John Kessler is with us, the author of When God is Silent. You can find out more about that at our website, chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information. And if you've been reading that book, I want to hear from you today, 877-548-3675. What I just mentioned before we took a break, the the Catholic envoy saying, I'll go uh, release the hostage children and I will go in their place. That's where I go because I want to figure out what, what do we need to do in order to solve this, to bring down the tension, to make things work out okay, or I can do this theologically. And that is, well, God is allowing this in order that, and then I put the domino pieces around the way that I think 
they're going to line up. Like, Joseph, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. I'm trying to figure out how that works here. And if I can get that in my mind, and you know, because Daniel says this, and Revelation says this, and so, you know, so that is, what is that? Why do I always do that, John? Well, I think it's very natural. First of all, because we care about what's going on, we want to see the situation resolved in our, in our own minds. We can't help but think about solutions. But I also think that there there is a natural tendency that we have to want to control the situation, you know, not just globally, but in our own personal lives. And that makes its way into our prayer life. And I, I've often thought about, in my own experience with prayer, how often what I'm trying to do when I pray is I'm really trying to control God and how God never allows that to happen. You know, he doesn't get with the program. I, I have, you know, I have all these wonderful plans for him. You know, I, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Remember that? Well, I love God and I have a wonderful plan for his life <laughs> that he consistently ignores. So, so I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, I, I think there is a great tendency for us to feel like if I if I could just figure this out, if I could understand it comprehensively, if I knew exactly what to say or how to say it, then I could guarantee the result that I would get and that it would be either what I think should happen or what I want to happen. And so that's where it seems to me the first the first principle when you ask the question, how do you pray when you don't know what to pray? You, you start with this, pray what you feel and pray what you know. Because God does not expect us to pray comprehensively. You know, even when, even when we're praying about matters that are close to our own lives, our own situation, we often don't know exactly how to pray because our perspective is limited, right? I, I look at it through my eyes, often with a great sympathy to my own situation. God sees it very differently. Not only does he see the, the big picture, he sees everybody he sees it within the scope of his vast plan, you know, from the beginning of time to the end of time. And I, and I, I know the high points of that. Scripture says those things to me, but I do not see it in the comprehensive way that God does. And so it's only uh, natural, it's understandable, and, and God is not shocked if I am not able to pray about something comprehensively. That is, if, if my prayer is imperfective, imperfect, you know, if my perspective is imperfect, and, and even if then if my prayer is what I'm asking for is off, I know that God is going to see things the way they really are, and he's going to respond according to my need and his plan. Hmm. So, so that, that's the second principle, actually, is to trust God to be able to see beyond the imperfection of your prayer and to provide the right answer. In fact, that's why I think when you look at Jesus' own uh, Jesus teaching about prayer in Matthew 6, 8, he assures us that our Father in heaven, Jesus says, he knows what you need before you ask him. Uh, so the, the aim of prayer is not to point out needs of which God is, you know, unaware. It's not to advise him. You know, I'm not trying to be God's counselor. I'm, I'm just expressing the need as I see it, and I'm trusting him to act in a fatherly way in response to it. 
Okay, I want to. I I want to talk about that one, but I'm stuck on the first. One. <laughs> pray Are you what really? you feel. Yeah, pray <laughs> what you feel and what you know. Stuck in a good way. Okay. Because good. as soon as you said that, I thought that I often beat myself up for f- feeling things yeah, or right. what I don't know, and how I try to you know, I try to inform God about what He doesn't know, and I you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but but. The ultimate example of that is is in the garden, and Father, if it be you know, take mm-hmm. this cup from me. Jesus has already told his disciples, "Here's what's going to happen. This is where we're going. This is what's going to happen." And in the garden, he struggles with that in in his humanity, and comes to the place of nevertheless. Not my will, but your be, yours be done. Isn't that what you're talking about when you say pray? So that in that sense, it gives us a freedom to be who we are and to to lament, right? Yeah, I think it's wonderfully that prayer of Jesus to me has been one of the most liberating elements in my prayer life. To see that because here's one thing that's different about Jesus: Jesus knows how that prayer is going to be answered when Jesus says. Uh, let this cup pass from me. He knows that the answer is that it cannot pass from him. And knowing that, he prays it anyway, which that, that's where I say, you know, and first of all— And he lets us hear us. He lets that's us right, hear it. For our, for our own sake. You know, that's, that's why I say, pray what you know. That is, you know, you, you are coming to God with a perspective. You have certain assumptions. You have certain desires. And— and you are part of the re- the reason you're praying is not because God doesn't know that. The reason you're praying is because you need to express that to God. So pray what you know, and pray what you feel. And it could be very well. It could very well be true that what you know is wrong, that your perspective is incomplete, and that what you feel is not in line with what God is going to do. It's okay to it's okay to express it. Because you're not, it's not the case where you're going to talk God into something, and then and then God later on is going to say, "Oh, I never should have listened to you." <laughs> you I, don't, I don't know why I listened to you and let you do and did that for you. Uh, it, it's it is really part of the way that we bring ourselves to the place where we can say, "Not my will, but yours be done." I can't even say that unless I'm able to say what my will is. And so many times when I come to God in prayer, I'm not even sure what my will is. You know, I, I have a mixture that, of feelings. Doesn't that keep people sometimes away from prayer as a fait accompli? Or God's going to do what He's going to do. I don't have any. I don't have any say in this. I don't. He, I'm not going to change His mind. You know, He's already decided this, and so they shrink back from prayer, thinking that it has no power in the first place. Yes, that is that does have a tendency to sort of uh, short circuit it, but but that whole perspective is a is a very unrelational view of God to begin with. That is, you know, if I come to prayer with this attitude of well, God's going to do what He's going to do, and so there's no point in my praying to begin with. It it assumes that there is no relationship here, that God does not want to hear from me that there's no value to me to speak to God about things that I where I may not know the right answer that there's no value for me to ask God for something 
that might be wrong for me and to then have the experience of God showing me a different plan by experience, not typically by usually, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say it typically for most of us. We, we learn it when we pray for the one thing and the other thing happens, you know? So, uh, you know, I think that one of the fundamental uh, elements of prayer is that it is a relational interaction with God but it's a very unique kind of conversation because it's unlike all the other relationships. Like right now, we're having a relational experience. I say something, you observe, you say something back. You know, prayer, we talked about this last time. Prayer has a tendency to be, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is, monovocal, univocal. I'm doing most of the talking. Soliloquy. <laughs> You know, yes, I, I am. I am opening my heart to God. I am expressing my desires to God, and He is receiving that. And He is primarily in the mode of receiving because He's not talking back typically, um, but He is hearing. And because I know that He hears me, I know that He's also going to answer, and He's going to answer in the in the best possible way mm. for me. So the, uh, what unfolds from prayer then is not just this moment where I say, okay, God, this is what I need. And in the moment, you know, I, I either hear from God that he's going to give me what I want or I get what I want right away, that it's this long-term relationship. Really, if you think about it, it's a relationship that, that started before I was born and will continue into eternity. That's this really long relationship that draws everything into it, all of my experience, all of my circumstances, and in fact, and this is this is where this situation we started with today, all of history gets mm. drawn into it, and I am a part of it. And uh, so it's a long game, not a short one. And, and I think that that's, an, not only is our struggle in prayer that we try to use prayer to control our circumstances and to try to control uh, we try to control God, uh, but you know that's. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, 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 maybe uh, that's I, good enough. <laughs> you know, it it's, is. it's all a matter of control. <laughs> it is because we had prayed before we went on here. You know, Lord, for somebody driving down the road today who doesn't know what to pray with it, what whether it's the Middle East or just a situation in their own personal life, would you? Would you bring freedom? Maybe just your first point, pray what you feel yeah. and what yeah. you know will be enough to release you that it's okay if you don't know what to pray here. Just allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and to know what you're knowing and to bring that to God. So that's number one. And and if that's you, here's our number, 877-548-3675. I'd love to get some response from you as we go through this, rather than it just to be a soliloquy from the two of us. Although you can't have a soliloquy with two people, but we'll, we'll let it. Uh, number two, trust God to see beyond our imperfection about prayer. That was the point that you were making. Um, what is the third principle? If you feel anxious because you don't know how to pray, or or if you feel like you can't pray, because I think that's often the case, take advantage of the larger resource that the body of Christ provides. Because one of the one of the advantages of corporate prayer is that it provides a larger scope for prayer. You know, I've often been in situations where I'm praying with other people, praying with the church, and I'll I'll hear somebody else pray about the same situation. 
And they pray things I hadn't even thought about. And, and actually, you know, to be totally honest with you, sometimes I'm embarrassed or even maybe a little jealous, you know, and I think, oh, I wish I had prayed that. I, I wish I had thought to pray that. But the reality is that that's, that is the function of the body of Christ, you know, that, that everybody's looking at it from a slightly different perspective. They're coming at it from a, from a different perspective. And that uh, uh, combined chorus of prayer it has, has tremendous power. You know, when Paul uh, uh, asks people to pray for him, there's one, one place where he says, you also helping me through your prayers. You, you, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that sort of fatalistic perspective. You know, it, it is whatever you, I, I cannot sort through God's control and my part in praying and all of that. I, I can't work out all of the spiritual physics of that. I don't need to. I can be sure that prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference in my life. Prayer makes a difference in the world today. And as God's people pray, that that combined point of view and that combined uh, a crying out to God, that God has chosen to use that in the world. So when I don't know what to pray, or I, if I even feel like I, I can't pray, well, there is a church that will pray. Yes. There are God's people who will add their, they can see things you can't see, and they will be your voice when you can't be a voice. We had that happen on, on Friday because there was a, um, a chapel service at Moody and several people prayed at the beginning. So we played a little bit of that, three, three and a half minutes of that. And you got exactly what you're just talking about, the breadth of different prayers for what's going on in the Middle East. We'll continue. Dr. John Kessler is with us. I hope this is a conversation that hitting you right in the heart. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. You are scared. You're in a place you don't want to be. You don't understand what's going on. You call a toll-free number because you've been told you're pregnant or that your girlfriend is pregnant. And the person on the other end of the line says, settle down. Don't worry. We're going to help you. There's an abortion clinic just a few miles away. As an alternative to that scenario, there is another number where that same person who is flummoxed by life can talk with a trained pregnancy decision coach who can give, instead of the directions to an abortion clinic, life-affirming help. CareNet has a pregnancy decision line that provides immediate counseling and coaching. You can find out more about what they're doing. And it's not just saving the life of the unborn child, which is enough but also caring for the women and the men who are making these life-altering decisions. Like the woman in the restroom I've told you about, she was in a restroom of an abortion clinic, and she said, I don't want to do this. And she called CareNet, and they helped her make a courageous decision. Click the green CareNet button today. If you're in that situation that you'll find the number, um, you, can, you can sign a pledge there at CareNet. 
Go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button today and find out more. I think you'll be encouraged. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. We're talking with Dr. John Kessler today about a really important thing about prayer. I'm going to go to your calls here in just a minute. But there's another uh, principle. You're giving us seven principles. Pray what you feel, what you know. Trust God to see beyond our imperfection about prayer. If you feel anxious or if you can't pray, take advantage of the larger source of prayer in the church. Uh, Hear other people praying. What's the fourth principle? The fourth principle is in situations like this where we feel overwhelmed by the, especially where we feel overwhelmed by the complexity of the issues, it's helpful. I think you need to remember that you don't have to have everything sorted out before you can pray. And here again, Jesus' teaching on prayer is really helpful in his model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Notice how it begins. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, these are requests that you can pray in any situation, and you can especially pray this when you don't know what the right outcome is. In fact, I think you can say, God, I don't understand the politics. I don't understand the circumstances. I can't sort through all the right and wrong of this, but I want you to be revered, and I'm asking that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no situation uh, uh, that that is an inappropriate prayer. That's always an appropriate prayer. I like that. Again, it gives you the freedom to say, God, this is, we're depending on you. All of this is about surrender, isn't it? All of it, all of it is, this is not about me here. Get me out of your way. Do what you want to do. But I, though I want to be a part of it by praying, right? And I think that's the main lesson of prayer. And I, I have to say, I think we've got it wrong because we so often think that the point of prayer is to get things done. That's the way we look at it. That's the way it's sort of pitched to the church. Uh, um, you know, I, I can often, I can remember pitching it that way to the congregation when I was a pastor. You know, it's just like, how do you, how do you ever expect God to do anything for, for you if you don't pray? And I, I really think that, that I had it wrong. That I, I think that the, the purpose of prayer is to remind me of my dependency upon, upon God to remind me of what I don't know, that, that it, it is the remedy for the compulsion I have to try to control my life, to try to control others, and ultimately to try to control God. Uh, prayer is the anti-control because mm. it puts God in control. Yes. Which is right where Job went, you know, at the end when God said, where were you? You know, he didn't yeah. answer the question. He said, where <laughs> were you? You know, look at me. And that's hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are you are set apart from us, and yet you are with us at the same time, which I can't right. paint in my, uh, in my puny little brain. Earl is calling from Florida. Earl, why'd you call today? Hey, Thank you so much, John, for taking my call. You guys, uh, God bless you both. I just wanted to add, I love your perspective on everything. I just want to add just a couple of little things that I think can be helpful. And one is, um, of course, you know, we're, we're to, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, <clears throat> Psalms 122.6. And I think most of us are doing that as believers. 
And um, but we should we we're to, we're to love all men, and we should also be praying for the peace of uh, Gaza and the peace of the Palestinians as well. And um, and then another, I think, really really important thing to pray for is to realize that when Jesus said. You see these signs of, uh, you know, wars, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, you know, your redemption is drawing nigh, look up. And so I think that we should all be praying that not only believers, but non-believers as well would see these things occurring and look up and start paying attention to God. And as believers, maybe we're not walking the way we should. We should be paying more attention. And maybe these will these events will shake us up to, to draw nearer to the Father and also for non-believers that don't have a relationship at all with the Father and with Christ, that they would look up as well. And if we just pray that these events would turn people, turn their hearts towards towards the Lord, I think that's a great um, addition to some of the other things that you guys are talking about, like praying for God's will to be done, even though we have different feelings. And, you know, Moses had different feelings on Mount Sinai, but he couldn't talk. But, you know, he followed God's will. And you just mentioned Job and Peter felt that way, you know, with the thorn in his in his flesh. And, you know, we can express our feelings, and God wants us to. And it doesn't mean that his will is not going to be done, but he'll—sometimes God will negotiate with us. You know, Gideon, he did it with Gideon. So, you know, our feelings matter to him. So praying freely with our feelings and expressing our feelings, but also especially regardless of our feelings, that God's will will be done. I just wanted to add those things. I'm glad you did, Earl, and uh, and John and I are going to talk about that whole negotiation thing because <laughs> we could do a whole program on that. But John, uh, respond respond to what Earl was saying. Yeah, I think that what Earl is saying is true. In fact, Jesus tells us to uh, pray for our enemies. So you know, whatever my perspective is in this, I, you know, if I whoever I see as the bad guy in this. I should be praying for those I see as being those who are harmed and those who are doing the harming. And then in terms of this being uh, something that causes us to look up, it's certainly not not wrong for people to be grieved by all of this. You know, I think that it's heartbreaking when we see uh, things like this unfolding in the world. But Jesus told us in advance that things like this would happen and that is part of the big picture that God is using circumstances like this, just as he uses the, the smaller kinds, uh, similar kinds of circumstances in our own lives to remind us of our need, that, that, that we are not in control, that we need to look to God, and to remind us that God is working out a bigger plan in our lives. So I, I don't disagree with what Earl's saying. I think he's right. To me, the... The miraculous, when you get to this point, it's almost like you get to the the edge of the sea and you can't go back because Pharaoh's headed your way in the army and you can't go forward because you're going to drown. That, that's what it feels very much like to me in the situation in Israel. You know, even if you... Um, if you go through Gaza and you try to surgically try to remove every member of Hamas that's there, it's still going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be so difficult and and loss of life on both sides. So this is the place where God can miraculously show up, not if we will let him, <laughs> but if we will join with him in in what we're praying about, I think. Respond to that. Well, we 
let's just be blunt about this. We don't know how God is going to resolve this. I know we, we know how we want him to. Uh, we know what will happen in, at the end of time when Jesus returns. But, you know, there's a long history of, of atrocities that take place where God allows people to experience the, consequ- the, the, the sinful actions of human beings, that, 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 it, that it, he allows it. Um, and it's it's you know it's a great it is a great mystery it's a painful thing for us to acknowledge but the reality is you cannot you cannot predict exactly how this particular incident is going to unfold and you cannot control it you cannot set the agenda for god except for the big agenda that he has that that we know that he's working through all of these circumstances, the great cataclysms and the small cataclysms. Yeah. And so that's what it forces us then to step back, to, to pray, to ask God to intervene and to wait, to wait patiently. You know, I think of the, I think of the prayer of the uh, martyrs under the altar mm-hmm. and and the in the book of revelation and they there it's a complaint really if you look at the prayer it's like how long lord before you avenge us and god's answer is wait a little longer mm-hmm. and that i think that is in one sense you know the primary occupation of the christian is to wait on god not to control god not to snap our fingers and think that we can somehow speed up the process um, you know, that's again, where, where, where we started the less, the primary lesson of prayer is that God is God and you are not, and he's in control and you're not. I want to get through these last three principles that Dr. John Kessler has for us to pray when you don't know what to pray. I wonder if one of them is going to be the groaning that we talk about, that we hear about in Scripture. His book is When God is Silent, Let the Bible Teach You to Pray. You can find out more about it at chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead. Personally or globally, how do you pray when you don't know what to pray? Dr. John Kessler is with us. He says, pray what you feel and what you know. Just be honest with God. Trust God to see beyond our imperfections about prayer. If you feel anxious or if you can't pray, take advantage of the church, that larger source of prayer for an encouragement. In situations where you're overwhelmed, you don't have to have everything sorted out before you pray. So that's four. Let's uh, get the last two or three in here, John. What's the next one? The fifth, and this may be a little redundant, but it, it builds off what we just said before the break. When you don't know what to pray, but you still feel like you want to pray, then make that your prayer. That, for example, say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you should do. I don't know how to fix this situation, but I know that I need you to do something. <laughs> I know that I need you to do your work in it. And, and I think when it comes to prayer, that we often put the emphasis in the wrong place because we think the answer depends on us. We think we have to say it in just the right way, 
or you know, we have to ask in just the right attitude or we won't get an answer. And if you think about it, that's really a magical view of prayer. It, it turns prayer into a kind of incantation as if, if God, as, it's as if God is petulant. You know, he's petulantly waiting for you to say it just the right way. If you don't say it just the right way, then he's not going to give you the answer. The power of prayer isn't in the way that we ask. It's in God. The power of prayer mm. is in the God who answers. <laughs> and the ground we have for confidence in praying, even when we don't know what the right answer looks like, is found in Jesus. Because Jesus has invited us to come to the Father and make a request in his name. Mm. Uh, the, sixth, the sixth principle is when you don't know what to pray, or if you don't feel like your prayers are comprehensive enough for the situation, remember that you're not the only one praying. Remember that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are also engaged in the ministry of prayer for you. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. And in a similar way, Romans 8, uh, 26 and 27 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If I'm praying, if the church is praying, if Jesus is praying and the Holy Spirit is praying, I don't think I have to worry about whether all the bases have been covered. <laughs> I think I can feel pretty good about that. Yeah. So again, then, that dependence goes back on him. And number seven. Number seven, remember that silence is also a form of prayer. If you don't know what to say when you come into God's presence, then don't be afraid to say nothing. Uh, there's a wonderful hymn that Isaac Watts wrote based on Psalm 23, the sure where he says, The sure provisions of God attend me all my days. Oh, may your house be my abode and all my work be praised. There I would find a settled rest where others go and come. No more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. If you don't know what to say when you come into God's presence, then say nothing. When it comes to God, if you're in Christ, you are neither a stranger nor a guest. You are God's child. And because of that, you are always welcome, whether you have anything to say or not. And I, I do think, I know I, in my own, because it's a part of my personality, I think sometimes when I come into God's presence, I chatter. You know, mm. I, I, I don't know what to say, so I just say anything. Peter did that on the, on the you know, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he just seems to start chattering and and the and the father's response is this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased listen to him <laughs> just okay if you don't have anything to say don't sweat it come into the father's presence in silence and just be there with him it's just good enough hearing you this hour has caused i think uh, it just kind of dawned on me I think I'm afraid that God isn't listening or that he's not mm -hmm. there or that he's not powerful enough or the you know the, the gross evil that I've heard about that is right there uh for me to imagine what's going on with those hostages right now or what's going on with Hamas not 
allowing the Palestinians to move, and so then the buildings come down. It's it's the proliferation of all of the information that we've gotten, and even some of the videos that have come out of all of this. We have so much information. Whereas during World War II, you maybe had a radio broadcast, or you heard word, or think about in the in the Civil War, you heard about a of a battle that happened over in Antietam or Chancellorsville or whatever. You heard about it weeks, if not months later. You didn't know everything that was going on. It's almost as if we can know everything right now. And so that gives us another more of an illusion of control that if we know all this, then we can figure it out. And it's like, no, I got to remind myself, I, I am not, I, we don't have all information here and but God does. He knows exactly who is hurting right now. He knows exactly who, the people who are uh, standing in need of prayer. And I'm we're part of that, right, John? That's right. What is happening in the world today is what has always happened. It it is. Read the Bible. Read world history. That doesn't mean that it's doesn't mean that it's meaningless. What you find from Scripture is that something is unfolding, this great uh, plan that God has, and at the heart of it was this commitment of God to work in a broken world. And the moment that God made the choice to work out His redemption in a broken world. It meant that he would have to work in the midst of the collateral damage of sin. And that's what you're seeing. That's what terrifies us. But God is greater. God is greater than our sin. He's greater than the circumstance in the world today. And he has sent Jesus Christ to resolve that problem. And he will work it out. He will, and I see a number of people who are saying that with all of the different psalms that they're giving on on Facebook, and here's what I would pray, praying that that would be one of the things that happens, that people around the, the country and the neighborhood and then around the world, especially in the Middle East, would look up and see the person of Christ, see the Messiah, uh, and turn to him. What was the Isaac Watts hymn that you quoted? Somebody's going to ask me that. I got to ask you that before we end here. Um, oh, I, I you know the I had, title of that? Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I, I will as soon as I hang up. It's based. <laughs> it's his, It's a. It's a famous hymn based on Psalm twenty-three. Okay, I'll, um, we'll look it up. Well, afterwards, and if you want that, uh, I'll put it on Facebook for you, friend. You go over there, John. Thanks for helping us to to go through these principles. And that silence can be a part of that. Uh, I Always love that. Always a pleasure. Love your Thank heart. You. Thanks for being with us. When God is silent, let the Bible teach you to pray by Dr. John Kessler. It's our featured resource. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. Oh, Tricia says, my shepherd will supply my needs. That's need. it. That's She's right. <laughs> <laughs> She's always right. Hey, friend, thanks for listening. Chris Fabry Live's production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.